Oh God, we, um, we thank you for the wonderful gift of the gospel. Thank you that because of Jesus, we have hope even in the face of death. Uh, thank you that the, the gospel is not something that uh, we, can, we need to be unsure of. Thank you that we can have certainty because of the eyewitness testimony of the apostles. And thank you that as we read this passage from 1 John, thank you that we can know that you are speaking to us. So we pray for hearts that are ready to receive your word. Uh, please soften us before your throne of grace. Uh, and we pray for Jack too as he comes to preach. Give him the, the words to say to encourage our hearts and to spur us on. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 John 1. Uh, uh, ending in chapter 2, verse 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness... We lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. I was talking to a friend a while ago who was at a youth camp. Uh, while he was there, uh, there was this opportunity for people to step forward and for the first time say that they trusted in Jesus. In other words, an altar call. Uh, so the opportunity for the first time for people to say that I trust in Jesus. Now, my friend who was a leader at this camp, he sat there and he was hoping that at least one of the guys that was in his small group uh, would be eager to trust in Jesus for the very first time. And he was pleasantly surprised when one of the quieter guys uh, got up and walked down the front. He said that he wanted to trust in Jesus uh, and the room full of people celebrated with him and they prayed for him. Now, my friend, understandably, was very happy about this. Uh, and after the service had finished and they were back in their small groups, my friend went up to him and he just said, look, I'm, I'm so excited that you've made this decision. And I'd, I'd love to talk to you more about what becoming a Christian means and I'd love to talk to you more about what happens next. The youth looked up at him and said, 
you know, I, I love doing that. This is about the fifth time that I've done it. Now, my friend was a little bit confused by that. Uh, and I think he was actually a little bit let down. But after he, he thought about it for a while, he really changed his perspective. And we chatted about it later on. So he realised that this youth went on this camp once a year and was so confronted by what he heard about Jesus in the Bible, so excited about being able to know Jesus, that he renewed his trust in him. But then what would happen after the camp, when he went home, back to everyday life? Well, he would go back to school. He would be um, immersed in a culture with multiple opinions about who Jesus is, multiple opinions and beliefs about what is right, what is wrong, uh, and a culture um, that just made this youth really uncertain, uncertain about what he should believe, uh, uncertain about who he should follow and how he should act. So it's no surprise really that when he went to something like this youth camp and was uh, again confronted about who Jesus is, that this uncertainty would pass. And again, he would renew his faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not just that youth that feels that, I think. My guess is that for a lot of us here today, this uncertainty is something that you have felt as well. I know that I've felt it. I felt it at school. I felt it in the place where I worked after school. I felt it at university. See, our culture today has so many different uh, beliefs about what is true, about what is not true, so many different ideas about what it means to be you know, just a good person. So many beliefs on God and who Jesus is. For example, one week at uni, I was talking to someone uh, about Jesus and about Christianity, and he said, I'm pretty sure Jesus was an alien. Kind of scratched my head. I spent an afternoon uh, as well outside of the Muslim prayer room that was uh, Adelaide Uni and was talking to someone for a while about who they thought Jesus was, and they said Jesus is a prophet, uh, one to be respected, uh, but just a prophet. Another time I was talking to someone outside of a pub and he said that he believed that Jesus existed. He said that God was there, but Jesus was around ages ago. He's not around now, so why should I give him a second thought? See, the series that we're starting today, that we're coming back to throughout this year, is a letter written by John, the same John who wrote John's Gospel. And he is writing to a group of Christians who are facing uncertainty. Uncertainty about their relationship with God and uncertainty about who they should listen to. John writes to a group of young Christians who've just left that youth camp and are trying desperately to figure out which voice amongst many they should listen to. If you're here today, if you are uncertain about Jesus or about having a relationship with God, then the letter of 1 John is a really great letter for you. Actually, it's a great letter for all of us because it reminds us of the incredible reality of what having a relationship with God means. So as we jump into this series, I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're a God who is not distant from us, but who is relational. Thank you that we can know you through your word. Thank you that you have made it possible for us to know you and love you and be loved by you through your son, Jesus. Help us now as we open up this letter together to understand what it really means that we can have a relationship with you and the assurance that we can have in that great reality. Amen. 
Well, point one in your outlines, if you're following along in your outlines, we learn about what was proclaimed by John and also uh, by many others. What he uh, proclaiming first of all is that we can be certain of a relationship with God because God first came to us. We can be certain of a relationship with God because God first came to us. Verse 1 and 2 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. The very first thing that John does is to bring up Jesus. This language may seem a bit odd, talking about a person, but that's who he is referring to. On your outlines there are four little numbers down the line. Um, See, John states for four things about what it is that he proclaims. He says, firstly, he proclaims something that is eternal. Something eternal. Secondly, proclaims something that he has heard. Thirdly, proclaims something that he has seen. And fourthly, he's proclaiming something that he has touched. He has heard, seen, and touched. John is talking about Jesus. Now, there were many voices trying to sway the early church about who Jesus was. And the part of the reason that this church is so uncertain about their relationship with God is because there had been a division in their church. See, people had left because they believed that Jesus wasn't who people claimed he was. See, there was a belief that permeated the early church saying that Jesus had just appeared as a spirit with special powers. But John is coming over the top of all those voices and he's saying, no, we, he's not just talking about himself but the other apostles, he's saying, we saw him, we heard him speak and tell us what to tell you and we have touched him. It's not just John who met Jesus and is telling others about him. They've been told by many first eyewitnesses about who Jesus is. Now, who would you listen to? I know that I'd listen to the person or the people who had all the facts and who had them from the primary source, not just from public opinion. So John says, listen to me, listen to what I am proclaiming to you. I proclaim Jesus, the word of life. In John's Gospel, he refers to Jesus in this way as well. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, John is reminding his readers in this letter of this great fact. That the author of creation, the one through whom everything exists, the one who gives life to all, didn't just separate himself from what he created, but he came down into his creation in the flesh as human. Jesus. We can be certain of relationship with God because he first came to us. But why, why is John so eager to proclaim Jesus? Well, point two on your outlines, why they proclaimed it. 
He's so eager to proclaim Jesus because the second reason we can be certain of relationship with God was that he wants a relationship with us. We can be certain of relationship with God because he wants relationship with us. Verse 3 says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. See, the whole point of this letter from John is to give assurance, to give assurance to his readers about the relationship that they can have with God because of Jesus. And he says as much in the last chapter of the book, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you, might, you may know that you have eternal life. In other words, eternal life with God in relationship with him. So we can be certain of relationship with God because he wants a relationship with us. This is an incredible reality that John wants his readers to really understand and grapple with. He wants them to be certain of this truth by the end of his letter. So he sets up his letter by reminding his readers of the coming of the word of life and of the relationship that they can have with God through him. In the next 12 verses, John outlines why Jesus is actually the only way that you can have that relationship with God. And he also addresses some of the beliefs, the false beliefs, that had permeated the church about that relationship. This is something that that church really needed reminding of. It's also something that we need to be reminded of as well. Why we need to hear, point three, this proclamation. Because Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with God. Now, John outlines why we need Jesus, and he says because of sin. See, the word sin comes up several times throughout verses 7, 8, 9, 10 of chapter 1, and also in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. It's a serious thing that needs dealing with because it's what separates us from having a relationship with God. Sin means rejecting God as our king and seeking to wear that crown ourselves, doing what we want without thought of God. But to understand why why sin is so bad, we need to firstly understand who God is, as John refers to him. In verse 5 of chapter 1, John says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Two contrasting images, both with very different connotations in the Bible. Light being the idea of purity, of holiness and life. And darkness being the the opposite of that. Rejection of what is pure, of what is holy. And death. Darkness opposes God and is hostile to God. Because God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. See, sin is so bad because it means a rejection of God, an acceptance and desire to walk in darkness, which means death, and which means facing God's anger and his judgment. And that's a really terrifying reality to consider. But it's also the wonder of who Jesus is 
and why we need him in order to have a relationship with God. To the last couple of verses of our reading this morning, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 to 2, it says that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for sin. See, this means that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his death in our place, results in those who were facing God's anger and judgment no longer facing it. See, Jesus deals with sin so that we can be in a relationship with God. But not only does Jesus deal with sin, we are told also in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 that his blood purifies us, which means we are clean from any relation to the darkness so that we are able to be in light as God is. And that that is an ongoing thing for those who trust in Jesus and in what he has done on the cross. We are made pure through him forever. See, we can be certain of relationship with God because, first of all, he first came to us. Secondly, because he wants a relationship with us. And thirdly, because Jesus and Jesus alone makes it possible. Notice how God does everything so that we can have that relationship with him. And as of this, we don't really contribute anything, do we? Jesus and Jesus alone makes it possible for us to have relationship with God. And in chapter 1, John outlines two false ideas that had permeated the church, both to do with the way that we contribute to relationship with God. Two false ideas about what we contribute to relationship with God. The first being that we can decide how we have that relationship. The first idea being that we can decide how we have that relationship. I mentioned briefly to you a conversation I once had with a man outside of a pub. Uh, I was walking past and he was well on the way to being drunk, uh, but he called me over and he asked me to have a beer with him. I said I'd be happy to sit with him for a while, but I couldn't drink because I was on the clock, and he asked me where I worked. I told him that I was working at a church. And you know what he said? That's awesome! I was like, what? Tell me about Jesus! What? I was pretty confused, but I, I sat down. I was kind of trying to, is this real? Uh, but I shared the gospel with him, and we talked for a while about Jesus. Now, I asked him at one point where he thought he was at with God, uh, and he said this. He said, you know, I, I believe that God's there. And I know that I've done the wrong thing on more than one occasion. But, you know, I, I acknowledge him. And, and now I try to do the right thing. And, you know, I, I feel like that's good enough. So he was deciding how to have relationship with God. And it was by acknowledging God's presence, by trying to be a good person, because he felt that that was enough. But what does John write in verse 6 of chapter 1? He says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. In other words, we can't have fellowship with God while actively rejecting him. It's like me saying to my brother Sam, I love you and I do love him, but while punching him repeatedly in the face. It doesn't really work. See, we can't have fellowship with God while actively rejecting him. Our society, it places a lot of value on feelings, doesn't it? If I feel like this is okay and it's going to feel good and doesn't harm me, I think I should be able to do it. I feel like I'm doing the right thing, so 
therefore it must be right. But to use my brother as an example again, sorry Sam, um, if my brother were annoying me and, and it did feel right to punch him repeatedly, is that the right thing to do? Of course not. It's a silly example, but I think it makes my point. See, if we act according to our feelings alone, then we are claiming to have the power to, by virtue of responding according to our feelings, know what is right and wrong, ultimately. But feelings change. So how can they be the correct measure? If you claim to know right and act on that feeling... For example, saying, I think God exists and I try to do the right thing and I feel like that's enough, but your only reason for that is based on what you feel is right and no other fact. Well, John here is saying that you are actually deceiving yourself because you can't have fellowship with God by deciding how on your own terms. God wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want to be ignored and he doesn't want to be rejected. Verse 7, John goes on, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. John is saying if you claim to be in a relationship with God, then you live that out. You live your life with your heart turned towards God and not towards those things that God opposes, which isn't a single-day exercise. It's life, seeking to live in relationship with God and not turning from him. John goes into great detail about what it does look like to to walk in the light later on in the letter. Um, We'll be returning to this. He takes great pains to show you how uh, walking in the light is characterised by love. First and foremost, that it's actually a response to God's incredible love for us. In response, we love God and we love our neighbour. See, if you claim to be in a relationship with God, then live that relationship out. Now, we have to notice, and this is a really important thing for us to understand, that John does not write, he does not write, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light and do not sin, we have fellowship with one another. See, walking in the light does not mean never sinning. And this is a really important thing for us to understand. See, the only way we've heard already that we can have relationship with God is through Jesus. But it's not because we earn Jesus' favour. See, if you read verse 7, we could easily misunderstand it to mean that when we do the right thing, when we do the right thing, then Jesus' blood purifies us. That's actually a gospel of works, and it's not what John is saying at all. See, what he's saying is that as you seek to be in the light, as God is in the light, it's actually Jesus that makes that possible because his blood makes you pure as God is pure. Jesus calls us to walk in the light not because of what we can earn by it, but because of what we already have in Jesus. And if you truly understand what Jesus has done for you, Turning to God and wanting to live in relationship with him is really the only response you'll want to have. See, we don't contribute to earning God's favour. We respond to his favour that's already been given to us in his son. The second false idea that permeated the church was that there were people who claimed to be without sin. 
There were people who claimed to be without sin. But there are two problems with this idea that, that John raises. The first is this. Firstly, if you claim to be without sin, then you deny responsibility for your actions. Verse 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the, tr- the truth is not in us. Which is actually a really hard reality to stomach. Because what John is writing here is that there is not one person in this room who can say that they have not sinned, who can say that they have not actively rejected God in their life. That's confronting. A belief that was on the rise in the early church uh, was one called Gnosticism. Uh, Gnosticism claims that the body is evil, but that the spirit is pure. This meant that uh, when they did the wrong thing, it wasn't actually their fault. It was their evil body that was deciding to follow its desires. It was just fate that they were going to sin. It's what they were ultimately going to do because the body had evil desires, but not the spirit. The spirit is pure. And, you know, it's nice to think that I can do the wrong thing and pass it off as mere circumstance or pass the blame onto someone else or something else. You know, it's much more preferable to admitting that I have done wrong. But what John writes here is that we're actually all at fault. It's not mere circumstance. It's not fate. It's a conscious rejection of God. If you sin, which John has just told us we all do, then it's your fault and no one else's. And it's confronting. But it's also what shows us just how incredible God is. So we find out something incredible about God and about our relationship with him. It's that God doesn't shy away from us. I was about six years old when we went to North Queensland to visit family. Uh, We went to my auntie's house and she has some cattle in her backyard. I was with my cousins. It was a really muddy and wet kind of day and their backyard was just completely covered in mud. And when I say covered in mud, I mean you couldn't take a step without kind of slipping and sliding. You have to watch every step that you take. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure who decided to do it first, and I don't really want to claim that it was me, but one mud missile flew across the yard and hit someone. And then another mud missile flew across the yard in retaliation, uh, and then it was on. You know, mud just went everywhere. All the kids in the backyard began throwing mud around at each other, began slipping and sliding on their stomachs in the mud. But the, um, the thing about mud-covered backyards that have animals in them is that you can never really be sure what you're throwing. See, it might be mud, it might be poo, it's probably both. And as the battle waged, each of the kids in that backyard gradually was covered from head to toe in poo mud. Now, I don't think it's really surprising that our parents weren't really fond of us kids being covered in this actually pretty disgusting to think about a child approaching you like that. The smell, the look, it's not very pleasant. If we saw someone covered like that in the street coming towards us, we wouldn't want anything to do with them. When we think about sin, sin is, is like that mud. Sin is like that to God. He, he hates it. And understandably so. But notice what John goes on to say about sin after saying that we deceive ourselves if we say we're without it. Verse 9, 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, verse 9 could just as easily say, if we confess our sin, he is just and will throw us in jail, lock the door and throw away the key. But it doesn't. Verse 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. See, God is like that parent swooping in on the child who is covered from head to toe in the foulest substance you can think of and pulling them out of it. He calls their child closer so that he can take all that muck and smell away and make them clean. And that's what he does for us through Jesus. That's what happens for us when we recognize that sin in our lives and repent of it and trust in Jesus. Because we can't deal with that muck ourselves. We'll just keep heaping it onto ourselves. See, God wants us to be in a relationship with him so he makes it possible for us to be. We don't deal with sin, God does. This is why ongoing confession to God of sin and repentance, meaning turning away from sin, is such an important thing in the life of a Christian. Because even though we have a relationship with God, we still get it wrong. It's what John has said. Which is why it is Jesus' blood that purifies us and not our own solutions. Otherwise, sin just grows and grows. It becomes unchecked in our lives and it actually becomes normal when it never should. When you think of the sin in your life, know that God isn't shying away from you. He's actually saying to you, bring it to me. I will forgive you. I've made that possible. Nothing can separate you from me and from the life that you can have through my son Jesus. We are responsible for sin. To say otherwise is to deceive ourselves. But also, John states, if we claim to be without sin, we're actually making God out to be a liar. While refusing to say we sin ignores responsibility, it also goes against what God has revealed to us, which is that we have rejected him. Saying we do not sin actually makes God out to be a liar. Because we do. And God takes it seriously. Look at the lengths he went to to deal with that problem. One mistake we could make today is one that some of those in the early church were making. Um, It's the idea that if God forgives my sin through Jesus, why not just keep on sinning? Well, because if that's the way your heart is turned, that actually means that you're doing what John said not to at the beginning. You're saying you have a relationship with God while living in a way that says you don't, in darkness. See, John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, I write this to you so that you will not sin. John urges his readers not to give in to the voices around them that are saying, give in to your feelings, give in to your desires, do what you want. He's saying, don't give in to that temptation to reject God and follow the things that are in opposition to him. Rather, be reminded again of the amazing reality. Be reminded of what you can be certain you have in Christ. Life. Relationship with God. God has done everything to make this possible, point four. He goes on in verse one. But if anybody does sin, 
we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, Jesus paid the price for sin once and for all on the cross. He turned aside God's anger and judgment toward us, so that for those who believe in his name, their sin is no longer counted. And we're told that Jesus is advocating on our behalf even now. Now, of course, there's no way of knowing what Jesus says on our behalf as our advocate. But imagine Jesus said in Acts to the Father. He doesn't say, Father, forgive them, and they'll, they'll try even harder. He doesn't say, Father, forgive them just this once, and I promise that they won't do it again. He doesn't say, Father, forgive them, and that they'll pay off the wrong that they've done. He says, Father, forgive them. My sacrifice is sufficient. See, we can be 100% certain that we have a relationship with God because of this fact. That Jesus has made it possible. And if you are here today, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, know that God wants a relationship with you. And you can accept that relationship by trusting in what Jesus has done for you through his death and resurrection. If you have questions about that relationship, please ask the person you came with this morning or come up and ask me, ask Duncan. See, these are the most important questions that you will ever think about. You can have a relationship with God. Now, the original recipients of John's letter have been reminded that they have this relationship, that it isn't because of what they can do, but because of what Jesus has done on their behalf. It's through believing in his name that they have life with God. And this is the reality for us today too. See, we can have certainty that we have relationship with God. And as we return to this series throughout the year, uh, I'm really excited to see how this letter is going to challenge us to live as, as those who have this relationship with God. As those who walk in light, not in darkness. But for now, how do we apply some of what we've been reading this morning? Well, first of all, by not falling into the trap of thinking that we're exempt from really needing to go back to basics. See, this is essentially what John has done here. Remember what you first heard. Relationship with God comes about through Jesus. But we can forget that and get caught up in thinking, I need to do this or that as well as trust in Jesus. But it's not trust in Jesus and come to church. It's not trust in Jesus and read your Bible. It's not trust in Jesus and take communion. It's not trust in Jesus and be a good person, although these are good things and things we should do. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Rest in him and what he's done, not in what you can bring to the table. Secondly, bring your sin before God and ask for forgiveness. Perhaps you will do that for the very first time this morning. And if that's you, please know that God promises his forgiveness through Jesus. If this is something you're doing for the billionth time, do it. Never think that you can be exempt from this need to confess sin to God. But don't forget that by doing so and by repenting of sin, you're actually drawing closer to God not further away. He doesn't shove you away when you confess your sin. He draws you closer. Sin and its guilt is not a burden that you need to deal with. It's been dealt with through Jesus. Finally, recognize that by having fellowship with God, we actually have fellowship with each other. 
This is an idea that uh, comes up a few times in the passage this morning, first in verse 3 and then in verse 7. See, fellowship with God means fellowship with each other. This means loving one another and reminding one another of the great truth of life that we have in Christ. I want to thank you again for such a warm welcome last week and for uh, the words of encouragement and care. But let's continue to do this for each other. Continue to point one another to Christ, even when that's a hard thing to do. And let's continue to desire to see those who don't know Jesus yet join us in this fellowship as they come to know God and be in a relationship with him. Because we can be certain of that relationship. Because he first came to us, he wants a relationship with us, and has made relationship possible through Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the great love that you have for us, that even though we were turned from you and rejecting you, you sent your Son into this world to die on the cross for our sins so that we might be saved from the penalty for our sin, so that we might come to know you and be in a relationship with you. Father, I pray that for all of us here, this is something, uh, this is a great truth that we know and celebrate in, and that our lives would be shaped by a desire to continue getting to know you and live in relationship with you. Amen.